or ask you to join me in Jude. It's been several weeks since we've been in Jude. You can still find it, I hope. The book of Jude. I'll get this plugged in. We are getting close to the end of our book today. Our focus will be especially in verse 22 and 23. And uh, that will be our first round through Jude. And then we'll try to start all over. What do you think? No? Maybe not? No, i got other plans. But uh, we are going to be closing in toward the end of this book. But no way is today the last of our, our study. Verse 22 and 23, Have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Very important words, and you might have found in your translation a different kind of set of words that you heard uh, or you saw as I was reading. And we're going to talk a little bit about that yet today, but uh, we're in the applicational section of this book, and it's a very, very important section. There are only four commands in the whole book, and they're right here from verse 17 to verse number 23. We've covered two of the commands already. We're going to cover a couple more as we work our way further into this text. But I just want you to know, these commands are for you personally and for us as a church together. Uh, Let's take them that way. Let's read them and say, this is what I'm called to do. All right? These are very, very important, especially in light of the context in which Jude is writing. Uh, You already know that the emphasis is on false teaching in this book. A big bulk of this book is given to the identification of a false teacher. That is not why Jude wrote in the first place, or not what he intended to do. As he said earlier in verse number 3, he says, I wanted to write to you about our common salvation. And who knows how big that book would have looked if he had a chance to cover all that territory. But he says, we have an immediate problem in the church. It's been infiltrated with false teachers, and I've got to address that. And he does that all the way through this book. But when he gets to verse 17 and beyond, he says, now this is what I want you to do. What I want you to do. He's addressing the church and saying, this is the important steps you need to take. As I'm getting ramped up and ready to blast away here, let's have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, you're so very good to give us your word that we might learn from it. And it does do that very thing. How your Holy Spirit takes these things and really works at the heart. Knocking off the rust and the debris and and the impurities there and shaping our mind to think like yours. Our will to follow yours. You are at work. And you're at work right now. We have your book open. And it will not return to you void. It will accomplish what you send it out to do. So we just say, Lord, accomplish it in us today. Just accomplish your will in us. As we learn from another passage, shape us, train us, encourage us. But most of all, Lord, we just want to be useful. And I pray that's in our hearts today as we study. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, The point I'd like to emphasize in this whole part as I set this up for you today, Jude does not tell you a strategy to deal with a false teacher. Other books do have 
addresses in that department. That's not Jude's concern here. The strategy he sets up in this book is very unique and very important. Because the fact is, I'll just say it for what it is. Not all of us are equipped to handle false teaching. Some of us get very confused, especially when they knock on your door and they're wearing the white shirts and the funny ties and the whole thing, and you say, oh, it's one of those. Um, Some of us just say, I'm not going to answer the door. I'm not going to even go down that way. I'm just going to tell them, you know, I don't don't believe it, so you can go away and things like that. And, And some are not just equipped to handle or refute a false teacher and his doctrine. And I'm not going to complain about whether or not that's the way we are or not. It really takes discernment to understand uh, the error that they bring with them and uh, how to be able to warn the church in that. The fact is, folks, not all dogs are watchdogs. You ever notice that? Some of them are, are just not watchdogs. Uh, that's not a criticism of, for the church. I don't believe so. It's the reality that not every believer is on the same maturity level. Not every believer is is designed the way the Lord has for them to be uh, able to do some things. And and if we were all watchdogs, and some false teacher walked in here, and it would be like one of those kennels. You ever walk in there where a hundred dogs start barking at you, and you can't even think straight? And, And I think that would drive a teacher, false teacher, insane if we did that. But uh, we're not all designed that way. But we are all to be doing something. And that's what Jude is pointing out to these dear Christians in his day who were overwhelmed with this, and they were staggered. And he says, this is what you need to be doing. Definitely you need to do this because it's for your own personal good, and it's for the good of your brothers and sisters in Christ. This is what we are to do. The first two commands we found in verse 17 through 21. Remember the word. That's where he started in verse 17. You, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's important. That's urgent. The way he said it, I love it in the Greek text, it's the aorist tense. And that means do it now. All right? As if you've never done it before, know his word and remember it. And I said it, and I said it, but I'll say it again. You cannot remember what you've never read. Read it so you could remember it. But you've got to remember. That's important. They were saying to you in verse 18, what you will find in this book is that in the last times there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. I'll tell you folks, it's true. They're out there right now. These are the ones who cause divisions. Oh, we've seen that. Worldly minded, yes. Devoid of the Spirit, absolutely. This warning has gone up. And disaster awaits those who do not heed it. That's where we started. The church has started to be filled up with false teachers in Jude's day. And they're still running rampant today. They're out there. The church has been careless in remembering over the years. That's because they're not taking the command seriously. Let's not be like that, right? Let's not be numbered among those who fall to the false teacher because they could walk in at any moment. And the question is, are we on guard? We have to know his word. Command number one. Command number two in verse number 21. 
Keep yourselves in the love of God. Aorist tense again, right now. Start it if you've never done it before, but this is urgent. Very urgent. I've tried to help you work through this and understand it because some people get confused. Like they're saying, you mean salvation things and, and can I lose my salvation? Is that what it's talking about? That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about stay close to where you're safe. Stay close to where you're safe. Stay close where your strength lies. It's so very important and necessary if we're going to be able to do any of these commands that we stay close to our shepherd. That's the whole point. This is not about salvation. It's about your abiding. You know there's a difference. We're to be walking with Christ, right? Anybody agree with that? Oh, good. That's called abiding. And walking with Christ is not walking 20 miles ahead of Him or 20 miles behind Him. Walking with Him. Think of that as a picture of that shepherd. You're to be close to Him, close to our God. You're to stay close to Him in the sphere of His love, like a safety boundary. Stay close. You know, when we spend time with the Lord... And in His Word, we are strengthened. We are encouraged. And we we are more likely to pray, aren't we? Because we're staying close to Him. We're more likely to serve, aren't we? And we're more in tune with obedience. Don't you love those days and weeks and months when things are right with you and your Lord and you're walking together with Him and, and you're you're more assured of his love because of that. Assurance is a beautiful thing. And it comes from walking close to him. But when you start to wander, and we all do, and we get into things we shouldn't do, don't you know we are less assured of his love? Even though it's there, it didn't change, but we did. And we're less assured of his love. And we are not likely to obey. And we are not likely to serve. And we're not likely to pray. And we get discouraged and we get weak. Is all that right? Yeah. There's a difference between the two. The ingredients of staying close to Him are right here before us. Verse number 20, 21. What is it? Building up our faith. Praying in the Holy Spirit. And verse 21, expecting His coming. That makes sense, doesn't it? That's what it means to, to, to be close to your Lord. And so why is that so in, urgent? Why, why, is, why is the pastor yelling right now? <laughs> what is that? It protects you from the false teacher. This protects you. A false teacher is not comfortable with you being close to your shepherd. Do you realize that? He's not going to get close to him because the shepherd could spot him a mile away and the shepherd has the tools to do something about it. You're safest when you're close to your shepherd. And it also does something more than just protects you. It prepares you. It prepares you to help those who have wandered away from the shepherd. They're already falling to the deceits of the false teacher. And they're already being ripped up in their faith and they're in their walk. And guess who's supposed to go and help? Us. That's why the first two commands are really the foundation for the next two commands. 
We have to have those things straight. We have to be maturing in our faith. We need to be staying close to our God because verse 22 says, Now have mercy on some who are doubting. This is where it turns suddenly. Where it's not so much internally about me. Who am I? I'm building myself up. I'm praying. I'm eagerly awaiting His mercy. I'm staying close to His love. I'm remembering the Word. I, 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 I. And we say sometimes, you know, that's not healthy. But there's something important about our own physical well-being if we're going to physically help somebody else. And there's something so important about our own spiritual well-being if we're going to help somebody else. And that's why the picture is given as such as it is. If this church that Jude is writing to would have been following the commands in the first place, notice something very interesting. He did not say, keep on remembering the words. He didn't say, keep on staying close to the love of Christ. And do you know why? Because they weren't doing it. And if they had been doing it, he wouldn't have needed those commands. He would have went right into, now, you're all set, you're all equipped, you're all healthy and mature, and so I'm going to send you out to service. That's why you walk through that. And maybe that's convicting for us that it's said that way too. That's what we did so that we come to verse 22, and he says, now, let's help. Let's help. I would, I would give to you something real simple. The church today is in desperate need of people who can help. We have a lot of issues. And because the church as a whole, and I'm talking about worldwide, maybe I'm just talking about American, maybe I'm just talking about Oklahoman, maybe I'm just talking about our, our own. But the church as a whole has reached a place of immaturity and worldliness that there's trouble, 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 trouble. Have you seen it? It's ripping congregations to bits. Who is equipped to help? When Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he says, what's wrong with you people? There's my paraphrase. What's wrong with you people? You're supposed to be eating meat, and I'm still dishing out the milk to you. Especially when you get to chapter 6. They're sending each other to the courts. They were suing each other left and right for who knows what reasons, but they were doing it. And Paul says, what's the matter with you? Is there not one mature person in your congregation that can help? Not one? Let's not be a Corinthian church. Let's be a mature church. Let's be prepared to help. Let's be ready to help. In a sense, let's all be like those who get the, the call on their phone or their walkie-talkie that says, hey, head to the fire station right now, there's trouble. Wouldn't that be exciting if one person has trouble in a church and the whole church just mounds up together and rushes to the need? Oh, that's overwhelming. That's the way the body was designed to work. So when he says this phrase in verse 22, he's not creating some new concept. He's just addressing it from what God says the body was made to do. It's made for this purpose. Have mercy on some who are doubting. I want to give you a picture here. Uh, and, and I want to set it before you in this way. Picture three individuals. All right? Not, don't put a name or face. All right? Just randomly stick figures if you want. Okay? 
three different individuals in your mind, three different people here. All of them need immediate rescue. They're all in danger. Let's label all three of these as believers. Okay? Three believers in a lot of trouble. And I hope I can convince you that they are believers. But I'll work on that for the next couple of weeks. Their problem is that they are immature. They have fallen into sin. Now, all of us are in danger of immaturity. Do you know that? Because Scripture says either, it's not like physical things. You know, we grow older and older and older, and sometimes we don't like that, but we're supposed to be maturing. But in the Christian walk, the, according to Second Peter three seventeen and 18, you can either be maturing or you can be immaturing. And there's no place in between the two. And you're called to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And if you're not doing that, then you're in danger of your losing your steadfastness. That's immaturity. And we're all on the verge of that if we're not careful. We can become immature in a hurry. This is a warning for you. It's in the New Testament all over the place. But here's the fact. These individuals, these three you've got pictured here, these three are believers and they have fallen into immaturity, and they have fallen into sin, and somehow that is related to either false teaching or false thinking. And where do you think they got the false thinking? Probably from the false teaching. But they're certainly not thinking like the Lord. They're not thinking like Him. So I'm going to give you a label for the three. So you get a picture in your mind who they are. Guy number one over here is called the confused. All right? He's confused. Help him. Guy number two, if you want a girl, you could do a girl. I'm not going to be difficult on that point. Uh, The committed. You say, well, that sounds good. No, it's not good, okay? The committed. You got the confused, you got the committed, and the third one is the contaminated. All right? These are the three that Jude is going to say, help them. They're all three in immediate danger, and they need immediate rescue. Help them. Sometimes they're called victims. The victims of apostasy. That's the title I usually see in a commentary right at this point. The victims of apostasy. Well, we could call them that, but generally, folks, to be honest, people who have reached this point, they're participating in it. I don't know if you call that a victim or not when they're involved in the very thing that's tearing themselves apart. They are participating. And so, they need something. Generally, we address that kind of a need in a little more, um, I don't know how to say this exactly. I'll try. What's wrong with those people? Why did they do that? Boy, if I had ten minutes with them, I could fix it. You ever see that? That attitude, like punitive, I call it. The church is quick to attack, condemn, judge, sentence. You ever see that? Sometimes it's not always said verbally, but it's said in a lot of different ways. This is how we generally attack, and I use that word on purpose. 
Because we say, that's not right. They need to be fixed. Jude says they need compassionate aid. Let me describe this for you in a very careful way. Listen, listen, please. On the one hand, this is right from the Greek, verse 22. On the one hand, you keep on pitying others who are hesitating. We have the word doubting there in the New American Standard. Have mercy on those who are doubting. Have pity, keep on, keep on having pity on those who are hesitating. These are the confused. Let me explain it a little further. First of all, I want you to notice something. I think I should say this first. Verse 22, if your translation is like mine, it starts with the word and. Most people have an and right there. And. Guess what? That goes with the previous commands. It's not or. It's not multiple choice. It's not, I'll take the first two and I'll skip the other two. You see, what is called for of the believer in the first place is also called of the believer in the second place. It's an and that puts them together. Not an or, not a then, not a maybe, not a anything else, but that conjunction says, if I am doing command number one, remembering the word, command number two, keeping close to the Lord, and, you see, I should be doing command number three. Okay, we got that point. That's very important. So we're not picking and choosing who does what we're about to do. The, the connection is important. If you're keeping yourselves in the love of God, then you are capable of showing pity to somebody else. If you're connecting with the mercy of verse 21, you're waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, then you're capable of showing mercy to somebody else. Our preparation was to build and to pray and to keep ourselves in the love of God and to watch for His mercy. But our occupation, our occupation is to share that mercy with others. Our occupation is to rescue those in trouble. And, by the way, you get to verse 24, and to rely on Him who is able. Once you start to feel like this is too big for you, I say thank you for coming to that conclusion. Because it's supposed to make it feel too big. Because it drives you to verse number 24 and says, it's not about me after all, is it? It's about Him who is able. Isn't that the whole theme of the book? It's God who is able. So if you're starting to feel a little overwhelmed of what am I supposed to be doing, trust on the one who's able to do it. If you're staying close to him, that's going to help. What does it mean to have pity? Let's talk about the word a little bit. It says you keep on pitying, literally. Elio is the word from Elios. It's the word for mercy, pity, mercy, compassion. Some of those words are all related but let me show you the contrast. You ready? Brace yourself. Some people take mercy out of that and they put retaliation in instead. That's the opposite. Some people take pity out of that and they put the word disgust in there. And that's the opposite. Some people take compassion out of there and they put coldness in its place. 
And that's the opposite. For the word pity, mercy, compassion, you have retaliation, disgust, and coldness. And I'm afraid that shows up too often. You ever see it? That's not what we're designed to be. Matter of fact, guess what? Verse number 22 is a command. What's that mean to us? Do it, right? Do it. Do it. Here's a beautiful thing. I'm going to get show you something really, really beautiful. It's not an aorist tense. It's not a command. Get started. It's urgent. It's a present tense command. It implies something. It implies that you who are close to the Lord, you who are growing in Him, you who are praying, you who are remembering His Word, you who are staying close to Him, are showing pity. Keep on doing it. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Can it get hard? Yes. Can it be wearying? Yes. Don't stop. Don't stop. Don't stop. Aren't you glad the Lord didn't stop before He went to the cross? This is the picture right in front of you. Keep on showing pity. Keep on showing pity. Keep on showing pity. By the way, second person plural, which is real simple. That means all of you. (laughs) All of you are expected to be in this department. We're all supposed to be showing pity. We're all supposed to be showing compassion. We're all supposed to be showing mercy. It's not something done to you. It's something you're actively involved with in giving. And it's not an option. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. The church is made to do this. The world is not made to do this. The world does not understand mercy because it doesn't know the merciful one. We do. Matter of fact, Matter of fact, look at this in verse number 2. Guess what you already possess? Mercy and peace and love. He says, well, let it just be multiplied to you. You can't multiply something you don't already have. Do you know you have mercy already? You've got buckets of it. I like to say it that way. Buckets of it. Verse number 21. What are you waiting anxiously for? The mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Mercy. You practice it. You have it. You practice it. You have it. You practice it. Don't you love mercy? Aren't you glad the Lord gave it to you? Think about it for a few minutes. Wow. I, I, I honestly knew a person who was having a great deal of trouble with that word. Oh, loved the word mercy. Loved it, loved it. Talked about it all the time, how great the Lord had given him mercy. Mercy, mercy, mercy. He loved it. It was like a big old dump truck coming to dump it on him. But when he had troubles with people in the church, he spooned it out with a teaspoon. And that's what I see more times than not, is that we love the Word, yes, but do we use it? You will never run out of the supply of God's mercy. You say, but I've got, to, I've, got to, I've got to be careful. I don't use it all up. Oh, you're never going to use it all up. <laughs> That's the beauty of this. Whose mercy is it? 
God's mercy is given to you. He says, now, go and spend it on somebody. Share it. Take it to those who are in need. Take it to those who are helpless. Take it to those who have fallen. Those who are confused right now. I'll tell you why they're confused in a minute. But they're confused. You've got mercy. Take it with you. Give it. Give it. Give it. Give it. And when you think you've run out, guess what? Reach back here. Grab some more. It's all there. It's yours in ample supply. And you're never going to run out. You share it with others. That's what it says. Have pity on others, on others, on others who are doubting, hesitating. Diakrino is the Greek word. Very interesting word. The, the, the idea of dia is something that goes through, like a dia, diameter and all those words. We, we cut things in half with this word dia. We work with that. It's through and it's to, krino is to judge. To distinguish something, to be able to discern something, to decide a matter. And what they're doing is these people have two minds. They're stuck. They can't make up their mind. They're, they're here. Nope, nope, they're over here. Nope, they're over here. They are called doubters. They're struggling. They have misgivings about it. They're wavering. The the actual word here is that they're staggering. They're staggering. And it's no wonder. I told you about Second Peter. It's just back up a couple of pages. Second Peter 3. Look at the reason why. Verse 17. Look at the reason why. It's right here. It's so clear. It's, it's amazing how these two passages go together. He's talking about end time things and the Lord coming and all that. In verse 17. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, be on your guard so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, and fall from your own steadfastness. Your feet. Are they solid? Solid in your growth in the Lord? Solid in His Word? Solid in His truth? Solid in the ability to discern what's going on in this world? Solid to know what to do? The person who has listened to the false teacher or began to think falsely, is not solid. He's staggered. He's wavering. He could fall over. Unfortunately, in Jude's case, he did. He's fallen for the doubting role. He, he has allowed this, the dia, by the way, intensifies it. He has allowed this intense inability to decide what is right. How to take a stand on what is right. How to clearly know what is right. They've been influenced by a false teacher or false teaching and they're confused. You ever met anybody like that? They're confused. They're indecisive about things. They waver with their thought to thought, action to action. How many of them get into trouble then? That's the next step. Once your mind starts to think bad, guess where your actions go? It's that quick. That's what immaturity does to us because we hesitate. We don't know if we should get out of this problem or not. You know who I'm thinking of? A guy in the book of Genesis named Lot. You know his story? 
I'll show you just one picture of it. Go to Genesis 19 for a minute. I'm not going to read the whole passage, but Genesis 19, and I'm going to take you to verse 16. Now, all of us would agree, Sodom and Gomorrah was not a great place to live, right? Are you pretty much convinced of that? Especially the neighborhood after the Lord destroyed it. Nobody was selling property, were they? It was all singed. It was all a, a ash heap. Well, you know God was very mad at them. And uh, Lot was living in this region. He was moved into the town of Sodom. He was living among those people. Did he like it? Not really. We read of him being tormented day and night. And you say, well, why didn't you move? Well, you know, the kids were in school. I had a good paying job. And, you know, we kind of wavered here because we thought, you know, the, the, the pros and the cons, and maybe the pros are better than, have you ever been there? They were evaluating it, and they thought, well, it's probably better to stay than to leave. I don't know, but I'm here. And God came with an angel and said, get out. I'm going to destroy it. Get out. And I won't read you the whole story, but look at verse 16. When they urged him to get out, he hesitated. He hesitated. So the men, the angels who were with him, grabbed his hand and the hand of his wife and the hands of his two daughters, for the compassion of the Lord was upon him. And they brought him. I like the word dragged. Because that was probably what it looked more like. They brought him out and put him outside the city. They just launched him out that city. But notice the picture here. He hesitated, and then the Lord said, well, all right, I give up. No, that's not what compassion looks like. You see it? In the hesitation, the compassion was needed. What do you think Jude's trying to show us? It's something so simple. It's something so simple. Here is a person who's wavering now because they've fallen to some terrible things. They're thinking wrong. They're confused. They don't know what to do. In Ephesians, it talks about believers. In chapter 4, verse 14, believers who are tossed here and there by every wind of doctrine. What's happened? They're not steadfast. They're confused. They're being tossed around. I've never been inside the dryer when somebody turned it on. I'm never going to say I've never been inside the dryer, all right? Great hiding place as a little kid. But when you turn that on and it starts to go, which way is up? That's the confused guy. That's what false teaching does to a person. Stirs them up. They don't know which way is up, which way is up. And you say, what's wrong with that person? You know, if they came to Sunday school, we could fix that. Right? We go quickly to retaliation, we go to a coldness, we go to all those other responses that are quite contrary to mercy. But guess what's needed? Somebody to have the compassion to reach out their hand, grab that individual, and pull. Are you one of those who can pull? You're supposed to be. That's what it's saying. Have compassion. Now, the King James, you're reading it, some of you saying it says, making a difference. I think, well, that's true. You would make a difference if you actually did it. 
We stepped in and did it. But the, the translation, and I'm not going into all that because it could confuse everybody in the room. But it's a matter of, is that participle describing the person doing the mercy or the person receiving the mercy? And the wording is kind of interesting and all that. And when you read commentaries, you're going to say, what are they talking about? And they talk about it a lot and they miss the words. <laughs> They talk about whether or not that participle is aorist or, or, I mean, accusative or, sub, or nominative and all that. And I say, what's that all mean? It's simply this. You are not to be the one wavering. You are not to be the one staggering. You are not to be the one doubting. You're to help those who are. And that's the whole point of that little verse. You're there to help them because you've built up your faith. Because you've been praying in the Spirit. Because you've been staying close to the shepherd. You now can help. Do you see? You now can help. You're prepared for that. That confused individual needs you. Don't give them up and say, oh, well, they're lost. They're lost. There was a lady I worked with years and years ago. I was working in a, a law firm and, and one of the secretaries there I was not a lawyer. I printed their materials. Uh, they needed me. They didn't think so, but they did. But uh, uh, we printed all their materials for trial. Uh, there was one of the ladies there. She had grown up a Baptist, understood the faith, all those kind of things. And some Mormon convinced her otherwise. And she joined the Mormon church. And I said, Why? We were talking one day. I said, what, what, what's that all about? She said, well, it just sounded better to me. What? That wasn't an evaluation from the Word. That was an evaluation from their senses. You know, when we get immature, we start to think with our eyes and our nose and our mouth and our ears and our fingertips. Not from God's Word. And guess what happens when you do that? You get confused. You can fall for it in a whole quick way. Wait, I want to give you a picture, all right? I'll give you a picture of this because we're going to use it next week too. Imagine that you come upon this giant hole in the ground. And you look down in the hole and there's those three. There's our confused and there's our committed and there's our contaminated. They're all down in the hole. You're up at the top. What are you supposed to do? Pull them out. Pull them out. You don't walk by and just throw a McDonald's lunch, do you? Have a good day? There's great pictures of this all the way through Scripture. Aren't you glad the Samaritan stopped when nobody else would and helped the man that was beaten by the robbers? He said, hero, he did it. Well, that's the picture. There's a hole in the ground. These three people are in the hole. You have a simple job. Pull them out. Reach down and pull them out. What is your strength? Now, everything I've said to you up to this point comes into play, doesn't it? Your faith. You've been built up in your faith. Are you strong enough to pull them out? Oh, they're having trouble with their faith, but do you have faith strong enough to pull them out? You're not supposed to be in that hole of doubt. You're supposed to be strong enough in your faith to help those who are struggling in theirs. Praying. Are you strong enough in your prayers to help those who are wavering in theirs? You're supposed to be. 
Are you expecting the Lord's mercy? Are you staying close to the Lord? That's not where this guy is. Are you strong enough to reach down and help? You ought to be. We ought to be. But here's the beauty of it. You're not reaching down on your strength. You're not reaching down on your abilities. Who is able? God is able. Guess who's using your arm? Guess who's using your strength? Guess who's holding your feet? I like to picture it that way. He's holding your feet while you reach down. He's going to be there. And don't forget this. He can change the dirtiest thing to the whitest thing. Right? He can change that which was red as crimson into white as snow. Do you believe it? Happened for you? Can it happen for this guy in the hole? Yes, it can. Don't forget, who's the one who makes the difference? Who's the one that could change a life forever? Who is the one who's using you as a tool to reach that person? Are you ready to be used? That's what it comes down to. And that's where I'm going to stop. Look, I've got lots of pages. Lots and lots of pages. But I stop right there because I want us all to ask the question, am I able, am I willing to reach for the one who is confused? Heavenly Father, help us. Help us in this act. Just even in the thinking about it. We're reading from your word what we ought to be so that we might be occupied in your work. Used by you. To reach down into that big hole and help somebody else out. Somebody did that for us. And I pray that we're so quick. We're so ready. We're able and willing in the power of our Lord who is able to be used by you. We bring this passage to our hearts today in evaluation. But we also bring our evaluation to your throne today. That you might help us see. Help us see where we are in all these things. Help us see whether or not our hearts are engaged to do your will. Lord, this is in front of us. May we not neglect it. May we not dismiss it. May we not turn it to and transfer it to somebody else. But let us each take it personally and ask ourselves if we are capable of showing mercy. Help us with this, we pray today. For we need it. Our church needs it. Our world needs it. And if it can start with us, Lord, may it be so. We pray in Jesus' name today. Amen.